Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to be with you again. Aren't you thankful for his breath in your lungs? You know, we can get in the routine of church songs and forget what they really say and what they really mean. But man, when when I stop and think about the fact that his spirit, the spirit of the almighty God dwells in me and I have breath, I have life, not just naturally, but in the spirit because of because of that, that that communion, that fellowship, that relationship that that Adam and Eve lost in the garden by their sin. Jesus came to restore and it's by his spirit that he does that. I want to talk just for a couple minutes tonight um, about the gospel. Amen. And uh, I would pose the question to you all, wonderful saints of God, um, on this Tuesday night. I would ask you for a little group participation um, without looking. What, is, what would you say is the gospel? Any, any takers want to uh, help me answer the question? What is the gospel? Brother Clyde? Good news of salvation. Amen. Brother Vance? God's plan. Right. Amen. Jesus and him crucified. I think all those are right answers. Um, Matthew chapter 4, um, verse 23. It's kind of a uh, little twist for you. It's not a, it's not a, uh, it's not to take away from those answers because those answers I believe are very true. We, we have the word of God to prove that. But Matthew 4.23 says, Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And so I have this question for you. This is Matthew chapter 4, so it's early on, Jesus' ministry. How was Jesus preaching the gospel before he had died, was buried, resurrected? He was preaching, as, as it was said already, he was preaching the, the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. The good news is the fact that once we participate in the, as we know it, the plan of salvation, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Once we participate in that, then we can, as Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, then we can not only see the kingdom, but then we can enter the kingdom. But that doesn't happen unless we're born again, of course, of the water and of the Spirit. Born in the water, baptized in the name of Jesus, and by the Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And um, so you all, you all know that, I'm sure, all those things. 
So I want to, I, I've had this question, someone mentioned this the other day to me, and man, it really hit, hit me in a kind of a weird place and didn't sit well with me. And someone made the statement of, and this is years after an experience they had, and they said, it took me all these years and being at this point to realize that the gospel is for me too. And, um, man, that pricked my heart because this is an individual that I know, that I'm friends with, who I've participated in ministry with, and they've sort of, not sort of, kind of a lot, drifted from the Lord, from truth, from, from the gospel. And I, I, I feel like if we're not careful, we can, we can think that the gospel is only a one-time experience type of thing, that the gospel is... We participate in the gospel through the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And once we do that, we're done. Now we've fulfilled the gospel, and now we, I don't know, now we just be good Christians. But I think that um, I want to read, read a passage to you. I think this scripture kind of embodies the, how that we not only live the gospel, participate with the gospel, but also allow the gospel through us to minister to those around us. Um, and I know that's the goal, is as, as well as it is for it to, to work in our lives. It's two-part. Um, I don't know about you. I've, I've, I've been raised in, in church, and, um, and I'm thankful for that. That's, I'm thankful for that testimony. Um, but but I, I've had the thought sometimes, too, like, man, it seems like the focus is always on the outside, seems like the focus is always on others and, and reaching other people. And what about us who've, <laughs> who've been here, you know, all along? What about us who've, who've claimed hold of the gospel and haven't denied the gospel and, and we live the gospel? Um, and it can feel like we, you know, we're, we're kind of getting the short end of the stick because, because the gospel is so much about reaching and, and, and ministering to those who haven't yet received of it. Um, and, and this scripture, if you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to read, I'm going to read real, real quickly here. I'll start it at um, verse 1. You can follow along with me and, and um, just hear the word of the Lord. So uh, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 1 says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves... Or need we as some others epistles or commendation to you or letters or commendation from you? Yet uh, ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of men. For as much you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us and written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, like in the Old Testament, Ten Commandments, tables of stone. This epistle is written on the fleshly tables of the heart. And notice he said, he said, by the Spirit, but, but the Spirit of the living God. It's by that Spirit in us that, that the epistle is written on us, manifested in us. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Amen. 
our sufficiency is of God and always will be. Who also have made, watch this, our sufficiency is of God who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament. So the New Testament essentially is the gospel because we don't have a New Testament without a testator. And the testator is Jesus Christ who he came with that testament. He died on the cross fulfilling the testimony and becoming the New Testament. So we are, we're able ministers of the New Testament again by the Spirit of God written on the fleshly tables of our heart. Uh, where was I? Verse 6, who, who's made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit gives life. Um, but if the ministration of death written and engraved in stones, now watch this, he's reflecting again, again to the Old Testament, to when the law was first given, to when the original testament was first given. He said, if that testament, which was of death, if, if it written and, and, and engraved on real stones, if it was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. So all that he's saying, Moses, you know, he gets the Ten Commandments. He, he comes down. His face shines because of the glory, and he puts a veil on it so that they wouldn't see the glory that was fading away. Um which glory was to be done away. Verse 8, How shall not the ministration or the ministry of the Spirit be rather glorious? Or how much more glorious shall the ministry of the Spirit or the ministry of the New Testament be? For if the ministry or the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. Um, just keep reading here for, for context sake. So verse 11, for if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. So the gospel, it can be it can be kind of com complex, and um, we know that it's foolishness, right, to those who don't have the Spirit of God, to those who don't believe, but we still use a plainness of speech when we explain it, when we speak of it. Verse 13, not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Speaking of the law, speaking of the Old Testament. But their minds, and this is speaking of, of Israel, their minds were blinded for until, until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. So it's by Christ Jesus, it's only through Christ Jesus that the veil that covered their eyes, that the veil of confusion that that veil that was there originally in the natural that remained in the spiritual, it's only by Christ Jesus that that veil can be removed. And is, is it any wonder that once Jesus died that the veil in the temple was rent in two? It was more symbolic than just that temple veil being rent in two and us being able to enter in. 
but it was also pointing to the fact that it's by his spirit, by his testimony, that that veil of, of confusion, that veil of not being able to understand can be, can be removed. And then the glory of the New Testament, the glory of the gospel can be revealed by Christ Jesus. And I lost my spot again. Verse 15. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit. Amen. We were talking a little bit last week about oneness. <laughs> the Lord, if you didn't catch it, this is, this is talking about Christ, talking about Jesus. It's the one who is crucified. The Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I, I, I've, heard that, I've heard that verse all my life, and you usually hear that separate from that whole chapter that we just read. You know, where the spirit, of, you hear it in services and worship leaders a lot, and, and it's good, it's, it's still true. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, I think it's in songs. And, but you realize in reading in, in this context, it's the liberty that it speaks of is the liberty of, of the mind. It's the liberty of, of the spiritual eyes to, to be opened to the gospel, to the truth of Jesus Christ. And it's only by the spirit of the Lord that that glory, that that liberty comes so that glory can be revealed. A couple more verses here. And, and if you don't know already that um, in, in the Bible that we have, man put the man later put the verses and the chapters there. So much of what we read where it cuts off at a verse is it's continuation of, of context. So going into finishing with verse 18, going into chapter 4. Says, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed. We are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I want to read that. I want to read that verse again. We all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, were changed into the same image. Sounds a little familiar what we talked about Sunday. Clothed with humility, we take on the image of Christ, that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And I just want to read a few, few verses here in chapter 4. Um, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, this ministry of the gospel, the ministry of the New Testament, seeing that we have this ministry that all of chapter 3 just talked about, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And watch this. This is where it kind of becomes real if it's not already. This is where it becomes real to us. It says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. So all of chapter 3 was kind of for you, <laughs> you taken of the gospel. But now it's, again, it's pointing our attention outward. 
And if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. I was thinking of this earlier, and it's interesting how it says, if our gospel, instead of just saying, if, if the gospel. And I didn't dig into that a whole lot, but the choice of words there make me think that there's a, there's a, personal, there's a personal aspect to the gospel of Christ. Yes, it's, it's him that died, him that was buried, him that resurrected, him that gives us salvation and life. But it's when we take ownership of that, when that becomes real, when that becomes true to us, then it's not something that we have to work at to, to minister to people. It's, it's, not something, it's, not, it's not someone else's story that we have to tell to get across to people to realize, look, this is the way, this is the truth, this is the only way to have life, but it's something that's real to me too, because I've claimed it, it's my gospel. And if it's hid, if it's hid in me, if it's hid by any veil of my flesh, as you see, you'll, you'll see throughout scripture and different types and shadows that oftentimes the veil represents the flesh. And if, if my flesh, and this is this is kind of what it comes down to, I, I guess, in a way, a continuation of, of last week and even Sunday. If it's our flesh or our image or our ego that we're trying to show people, that, that we're trying to minister through, then the gospel is going to be hid because there's that extra veil there that's blinding it. If we don't, if we don't receive the word of the Lord that was spoken so clearly on Sunday and, and clothe ourselves in humility and, and receive of his same image and go from glory to glory, then we'll be ministering of our own efforts, our own abilities, our own personality, and our gospel can remain hidden because we try to do it because, because we're charismatic or because we're the bubbly one. I think last week I said I was wearing a flowery shirt. <laughs> said because we're flowery or right but i thank god that it's not me it's not who i am that ministers to people but it's who he is through me it's me getting out of the way enough just a couple other verses i want to read here and turn this over verse four says um this is speaking again of if our gospel's hid it's hid to them to, that are lost in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. It's the God of this world that blinds the minds of, of this world. And of course, it's, it's God's desire, it's Jesus' desire that the light of the gospel would shine to them. That the light of the gospel of, of Christ, the image of, of God, it's no accident he, he continues there with, with describing what the, the gospel of Christ is and who Christ is and the fact that Christ was the image of God. And we now are to be the, the image bearers of Christ. Because we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God 
in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Amen. It's not of us. It's not by my power, not by my ability. It's not even by might or by power. As Jesus, as the Lord tells Zerubbabel, as they're trying to rebuild Jerusalem, he, he tells them, you're, you're trying to rebuild all of this, and yes, it's going to take some manpower, but where that, where that saying, that scripture comes from, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. That's in context to Zerubbabel rebuilding Jerusalem after it's been destroyed. And of course, we know that New Testament, Jesus is going to build his church. We, of course, are participants, and I'm thankful for that, thankful for the understanding of the gospel. But if it's going to be done, it's going to be done by his spirit. It's going to be done because people see him and not me, because they see the treasure and not the vessel. <laughs> you know, if, if any of us were pirates, we'd, we'd probably understand treasure a little bit better. But, you know, you see any pirate movie or read any pirate book and they're all looking for the treasure. They never put any emphasis on the chest, <laughs> right? Yet they, they understand and know that once they find that treasure, it's going to be in a chest, but the chest doesn't matter. It's just what holds that, tr that treasure. It's just, it's just the capsule that, that transports it, that gets it from point A to point B and then releases it, delivers it. Sometimes they might find it and there'd be a lock on it. <laughs> Probably taking this illustration too far. <laughs> Amen. But I don't want a gospel to be hid. I want to let it shine through me. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> How do you learn? This thought, just this question just came to me while Brother Hart was speaking. How do you learn? Repetition? That teaches you some things. How else? Experience? The example of others? What's that, Brother Leland? Application? Yep. None of you gave me the verse that I was looking for. In Isaiah, it says, precept upon precept, and line upon line, and here a little and there a little, which I guess the question is a little bit misleading because how do you learn about what? right? If, I, if I'm trying to teach you math, 
Well, I'm going to teach you that a little bit differently than if I'm trying to teach you how to build a fence, right? We're not going to go sit in, in, in a classroom and let me draw the diagram of fences. This is a post. It looks like that. This is a post hole digger. Let me draw you that tool. No, we go out there and we do it, right? But if we're going to do math, well, precept upon, there's this thing called adding. Well, first of all, there's these thing called numbers. And then you add them or you subtract them, and then you can get into the next level, and then the next level. Well, here, here's what I was, this thought that came to me. How should you teach a new convert about the gospel? How, how do they learn? Now we can go back to some of those answers you gave me. Through experience a little, through the example of others, through application. If we're talking about learning about the gospel, learning about the Bible, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and how they learn. Here, because honestly, if I'm being honest with you, most people when they come to the point in their life, that God-ordained moment, when all the things that they're living and all the things that they've heard and their experience is up to that point, whether this is a child, a young adult, or a seasoned adult, what they're, what they're not going to want is, tell me what is the Pentateuch. Tell me what is the definition of hermeneutics, homiletics. Tell me, hang on, no, I, I, I know all, I know what, you know, what Acts 2.38 says, and, and I know about John 3.16, but tell me who was Melchizedek. I need to know him before I can go any further. No, they, they want to know what they need to know right then and there, which is, we see this example in Acts chapter 2, what do we do? When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said, tell me what I do about this. What am, what, how am I supposed to respond? Okay, let me, let me take you to Genesis chapter 1. I know your question is, what do you do? But at first you need to know about the seven days, six days of creation and the days of rest. Really? Yeah, yeah, because we've got to get there before you know who Adam and Eve are. And then you, you, you need to know who Adam and Eve are so you can learn about this thing called sin. And then you need to learn who, you know, about the, the, the snake the serpent that, that spoke. But then, hang on, you've got to actually go back in time further than that to get to who the serpent really is. We can overcomplicate things very easily. We can overcomplicate them a lot of times. So my question, again, how do you teach a new convert? Or, not even... Uh, even with that, with that 
frame of a question, you think, okay, well, now I'm sitting down with somebody, I've got their undivided attention, and I'm a teacher, and all of a sudden I'm responsible for all the words that I say and making sure I don't stumble or mess up, and I make sure I've got all my Bible references. What are you doing? You're overcomplicating it. Again, this is, this is, how, this is what we see happen so often in our day, in, in the church, in our day, we will we would sooner disqualify ourselves being a, from being able to teach somebody or help somebody because we go. Um, what if they ask me about this? What if what if I'm trying to teach them, you know, about what it means to repent, but they're you know they're saying how how do I stop doing this? Well, uh, hang on. The, the, just like the scripture says, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of them that they couldn't see the gospel, that they couldn't see the light to even know. Every person's different. Every, each one of us learns differently. Each one of us, uh, you, uh, you've probably heard this statement, you are the sum of your experiences. The, who you are as a person is all that you've seen and done and learn, learned and heard up to this point in your life. And that's different for all of us, right? None of us have had the exact same life from the time we were born. So what one person needs to hear from you at the time they need to hear it, is totally different than what another person needs to hear from you at the time that they need to hear it. Some people need to hear... <laughs> Let's see, what's a word I can use? Some people need to hear, you're a doofus. Not everybody and not most people. But some people need to hear that. Because, you know what, the sum of your experiences that has led you to thinking the way that you're thinking and acting the way that you're acting, they're all led you to being a doofus. Now, I'm not trying to be rude, and, and I'm not giving you the, uh, the, uh, you know, the ability to go out there and be rude to people. That's not what it's about. But some people need to hear, you're doing great. I'm so proud of you and, all, and where you're at in your life right now. And you see how, how opposite, how extreme those are? But it's because what's needed to be said at the time, the answer that's, that needs to be given. And then, you, you know what? You could take somebody to, to, the, to a scripture or to a scriptural example from either one of those ends of the, of the spectrum. You're, you're, you're so wrong and you're so far out there, let me guide you to how this truth is. Or you're doing such a great job and you have such a desire to learn and I'm so proud of you, let's go further into the truth. Either one of those could be what's needed for that person to learn at that time. 
most people, most people that you encounter have a desire, known or unknown, I would say most of them probably somewhat known, have a desire to know God. They have a desire to know God. It's, you've probably heard this said, every person's born with a, with a hole, like a God-shaped hole in their heart, and they will try to fill it with everything other than Him. And so somewhere in their life, now they're starting to know that this doesn't do it. I've tried that. That didn't help. This wasn't the answer that I needed. I've gone down this road and been unsatisfied. I've spent time doing this and been unsatisfied. So whether they even know it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not, they have a desire to know God. Hear me? That's not the same as they have a desire to join a church. That's not the same thing. We take it and say, oh, you have a desire to know God? Good, let me take you to my church so you can join it. And go sit, a bunch, uh, sit around a bunch of other people that have a desire to know God. And then you'll, you'll know him by association. Nobody, raised, nobody said they learn by association, right? But you, the desire is there to know the Lord. And so what it is that's our, our calling is... See, the, the Lord's not going to put you in a position where you're just going to get totally embarrassed. Not, not very likely, okay? I mean, he doesn't get, he doesn't have fun doing that to us. Like, oh, I need to embarrass, I need to embarrass this person a little bit more. No. He's, he, he has a goal to reach his, his desires that every person would come to repentance. So he has a desire to put you into the life of a person that could lead them to repentance. He's not willing that any should perish. And so what it means is he will orchestrate your life, your time, your day, and put you in contact with someone to help them not perish. And so what it becomes our, our calling is... How do I interact in this situation that's going to help this person not perish? Not, how do I get Acts 2.38 into this conversation? Not, how do I get Jesus' name baptism somewhere worked into this conversation? No, the, it's how do I connect with this person in conversation, and knowing that the Lord knows them and what their day's like and what their week's been like and what their issues are way better than I do, and trusting He is going to orchestrate this, this conversation. We, we, we talk a lot about being spirit-led, but I don't know that we usually think of it in terms of daily conversation. But did you know you could be spirit-led in daily conversation? In fact, 
once you start to become that, you're, you are now more spirit-led in con daily conversations than you are in anything else, even more than in prayer. I am, I would try, and if there was a contest for the quietest person, I would enter that contest. And I would like my odds. Because I am not somebody that likes to go around talking to other people. That's, that's just how God made me. So I can have this impression of myself that says, well, as long as I'm spiritual... As long as I'm spirit-led in my time of prayer, as long as I just worship God and, 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 you know, keep a devotion to Him, then He'll give me a pass on the rest of it because I'm a quiet person. I don't find it working that way. In fact, the, more, the closer I get to Him in prayer and, in con and when I feel like, man, He and I are really clicking and we're on the same page, and we're going throughout that, this day, and it, we are just in line and in sync, all of a sudden, he's going to bring a third party into that situation, a person that says, you know, you know all those things we've been talking about in the prayer closet? Here's a real-life example. Why did you have to do that to me? Come on, I was enjoying the prayer closet. I was enjoying the the... As Paul said, the depth and the, the abundance of revelation. I was enjoying that. And now you're going to make me put words to it that another human being can understand? Come on, there's, Lord, you're taking all the fun out of this spiritual connection that we have. But it's, <laughs> he read it tonight. Jesus went about preaching the gospel. He is our example. What he did, we should do. He went about. So everywhere that he was, he said, What's, what conversation am I going to have in this town that this person or that this group needs to hear? And I'm going to speak it. I'm going to say it. We, we read so much more about personal interactions in the life of Jesus than we see sermons. There's only a handful, if that, of sermons that Jesus preached that are recorded in the Bible. In the sense of, He's up there speaking and everybody's sitting down listening. And Jesus has the floor. So, so let's, let's tune in and see what a great uh, or, uh, orator he is. What a great preacher and public speaker he is. Because I can pattern after that. No, what we see is he went into this town and he had this conversation with this one. Then he went over here and he had this discussion with this one. Then he pulled this, just one disciple or three disciples here and had this conversation with them. And it's personal interaction. 
one after another after another. Personal interaction. The gospel is personal. The gospel means something to you that it doesn't mean to me. And it means something to your neighbor that it doesn't mean to you. It's personal. This is what Jesus does for you. It's the, it is the good news of salvation. And to you, salvation means you're saved from that. To me, salvation means I'm saved from this. So the, person, the personal interaction, it has to be a part not only of the gospel, it has to be a part of our lives as Christians. Now let me hear one more thing. Because we say, oh great, when I get good enough, I'll start going around talking about the gospel. When I get good enough. Right now, uh-uh, I can't do it. I can't talk about Jesus right now because when, when somebody hears the words Jesus coming out of my mouth and then looks at my life and doesn't see him lining up, oh, I'm doing the Lord such a huge disservice. Is that what he did for us? Did he sit back there and think, all right, one of these days, Caleb's going to get his life together, and then I'm going to save him. One of these days, he's going to stop doing all that stuff and be good enough that I can say, oh, that's my beloved son. Oh, that's a chosen vessel of mine. Uh-uh. When, when did he stop Saul? from being Saul and doing what Saul did. When Saul was on the way to do more of what Saul did, he interrupted him. You're on your way, Saul, to do more of the Saul stuff, but I'm cutting it off right here. No longer will you be called Saul. No longer... Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus. The one that you're going to start telling people about. Oh, I know. I, I, wait, wait, wait. I already know a lot about Jesus. But I can't go around telling people that. Because I've got myself a reputation That's pretty much 300, 180 degrees different from, from that. So why don't you give me about six months, maybe three months if we're doing a fast track, and then I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll find a preacher, I'll, I'll, I'll start going to church, I'll get converted, I'll get my life together, and then, I can, I'll, do, then I'll do whatever you want me to do. 
The Lord doesn't work that way. He, he doesn't work on our time clock. In fact, that's when we get in trouble a lot of times is when we start thinking, I can put the Lord on a time clock, and you know what? Today's Tuesday. Ooh, next Sunday I'm going to be spiritual. I mean, i got four days until then. We're not going to talk about those days. But Sunday, Lord, I'm going to be ready. When I was a kid, it was church camp. It's coming up. You better start acting right. It's almost time to go to youth convention. You better start acting right. And we put the, the, had those little pegs in the timeline of the year that was, all right, I can, be with, I can be this way with my friends a few more weeks, a few more months, and then it's time for church camp. And I know I'm not going to be able to be this way after church camp because I know the Lord's going to get a hold of me going to drop this huge bomb called conviction in my life. I know it's coming. So Lord, me and you, once we get to August, we're going to have a good time. I heard this story one time. A guy was about to get baptized and uh, he, he had always in his adult life smoked cigarettes his entire adult life. He's going and he's getting, about to get baptized. He's had a Bible study, encounters with the Lord, had this personal encounter with the gospel that we're talking about tonight. It's time to get baptized. And he tells the pastor, hang on. I'm going outside, I'm going to smoke my last cigarette. I know after I get baptized, whew, let me go. Let me go smoke my last one because I know things are about to change between me and God. Now I'm just telling you, we get in trouble when we put the Lord on our time clock. But what happens is we use it as our excuse to not witness. We use it as our excuse to not share the gospel. Because anytime the the, the scripture calls this the mirror of the perfect law of liberty. And anytime I'm looking in the mirror, oh, that's not the, uh-uh, that's not it. Because I'm seeing me. I see, the, I see the word, and I see me, and if it's not that, I'm dismissing myself from everything. Until I get a little bit better, get a little bit cleaner, get a, looking a little bit more like this. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, we're listening tonight. God, we're desiring to hear the voice of your spirit. God, I need to be an agent of the gospel. God, I have to be. This is the calling that you've placed on our lives, Jesus, to be one that encounters with other, in, interacts with other individuals, Lord, and shares the word, shares the truth, 
Jesus, I pray, let this light shine in me first, God. Lord, let it accomplish in me whatever you need to do, Lord, so that I could take this word out and share it. Lord, so that I could take out this message and share it. God, I'm going to be looking for ways in conversation. Jesus, even tonight, individuals that you've illuminated to us, God, I pray that we begin our day looking for the direction of God, looking for the opportunities that you will give us, Lord. Orchestrate our days, Father. Orchestrate our time in the name of Jesus. Lord, you would lead it. You would guide it in such a way, God, that it would benefit your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we desire to see your kingdom grow to see your kingdom established in new lives, to see your kingdom and your word increase, Father, in the lives of individuals that you would place us in contact with. You are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life, Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Father, it's not about us. It's not about our own ways, God. It's not about our own wisdom or our own understanding. Lord, it's about You. It's about Your truth, Lord. It's about shining the light of Your truth into the darkness. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. If I had little flashlights, I'd give one to every person here tonight to remember the purpose. Your purpose is to be as a light that shines in the darkness. We get in here and man, it's so bright because there's all these flashlights and they're all on and whew, look how bright it is. But when we dismiss and we go out into the darkness, it's like, oh yeah, I think I got something here in my pocket that would help illuminate this, but uh, I don't know if I should pull it out and shine it or not. That's what we are, it's who we're called to be. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.